Hello, everybody. Welcome to TSC Talks. Jill here, and I'm really excited to have Jana Champagne on the podcast to talk about cannabis and spirituality. I know I did not cut all my hair off. That's my green screen beard weird, so you're going to have to live with me. Yeah, so Jana and I, we were just chatting before I started recording, and she has she's been on the podcast I think like three or four times at least over the last, like every year periodically. So we were saying that it's a tradition. We to do it around this time of year, we have a chat and I'm really excited to have, uh, have her on to talk friend and as a fellow colleague uh, about cannabis and spirituality, because I believe that she's had a profound, ex- well, I know she has profound experience as well as similar, but different than mine. So anyways, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about how awesome she is. And I'm going to read from her um, bio because I don't have it memorized. I don't either. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <Okay. all good. laughs> but yeah, I got, I got to lay this out. This is incredible. So Gianna, nurse Gianna's introduction to the cannabis industry began as a cannabis patient who happens to be a nurse. She suffered debilitating immune health collapse in 2012. And she credits cannabis uh, to, for helping reduce her reliance on harmful pharmaceuticals and supports her, supported her ability to regain her health, including reversal of autoimmune disease against all odds. Jana is known for her success in treating her daughter's autism with cannabis, which was featured in a cover story in a national cannabis industry mag magazine in 2017. And all this will be in the show notes. So uh, Nurse Jana's focus is on holistic treatment natural alternatives to pharmaceuticals, including CBD and cannabis therapy. Her work as a cannabis industry specialty nurse since 2015 included educating thousands thousands of patients, helping them optimize their cannabis therapy outcomes through individualized and well and, and a well-informed approach. Janice since applied her extensive clinical knowledge to educate medical professionals about cannabis and help producers create therapeutic quality and targeted cannabis products with the goal of improving cannabis patient success rates. Jan is also the founder of Autism Safe Haven, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to improving cannabis inclusive autism care resources. So neat. Uh, Jana's specialties include autism, inflammatory, inflammatory autism, comma, inflammatory chronic pain syndromes, autoimmune, neurological, gastrointestinal, and mental health conditions. And Jana has found that success with cannabis often led to reduced reliance on pharmaceuticals. Meanwhile, improves improving quality of life and function. Yay. Uh, just a little more. Keep uh, amazing. Uh, Nurse Jan is a founding member of the Cannabis Nurses Network, serving on CNN Speakers Bureau at, and as leadership. She was awarded the Leader of Nursing and Outstanding Author for Cannabis Nurses Media in 2019 and nominated awarded Cannabis Nurses Network 2020 Educator of the Year. Jana offers accredited cannabis nurse education programs and also serves as a cannabis college professor teaching graduate students medical and medical graduate student medical practitioners through John Patrick University Masters of Integrative Medicine degree program helping producers create optimal cannabis products resulted in one of CBD product lines winning top winning top 10 CBD uh, of 2020 designation mm-hmm. wow uh, using Jana's formula recipes, Virginia Fields, uh, Jana also serves as which are uh, serves as medical advisor and patient advocate of United Patients Group, dedicated to educating consumers with reliable cannabis information. Nurse Jana is a member of the Oregon 
Cannabis Clinical Clinicians Group and volunteers on the Patient Care Subcommittee of Oregon Cannabis Commission and the Ryan's Law Oregon Advocacy Team. Holy mackerel, Jana. <laughs> it's been a journey. Wow. <laughs> and all incredible. of that from just from following cannabis patient needs in this industry. So you can see how profound they really are. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's taken me a lot of different places. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and that's like it sounds like a lot of it just since 2012. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. That was that was a big turning point in my life. Um, in 2012, prior to, to my health collapse is how I term it, just keep it broad. And sure. you know, it, if you're interested in more depth on some of the details behind all of this, I urge you to look at the first two interviews I did with Jill, because I think we did, we went pretty in depth. We on did go pretty stuff. in depth. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's all out there, yeah. but um, so. yeah, that's when I went from being a mainstream hospital nurse working in critical care and a full-time graduate student working towards my master's degree in nursing with aspirations of becoming a, a nurse practitioner. And when I got sick, my, my life just kind of fell apart and all of those mm -hmm. pieces ended up on the floor. And, and, you know, what you're seeing now is, is the result of this process of picking those up and rebuilding. And I write a lot about how when you're so sick and you're disabled and you're non-functional, you, you lose a lot of what you've hung on to for meaning in your life and, yeah. and what feeds your ego. And not that the ego ever dies. I mean, we're human. We have egos. Yep. But I, I joke that my ego died at six feet under and now the work is, is trying to keep it there. <laughs> I hear that, but, you know, it, it really took me to some wonderful places. And, and I just feel so blessed because it's brought me to doing this work that I love and I'm passionate about. And I really do feel I, you know, I'm, I'm answering a higher calling with what I'm doing today. So absolutely. It's, yeah. I, I just feel like, yeah, chills when you're giving just that little <laughs> glimpse. Yeah. So I guess what I want you to do now that you've started there um, is to just go back and tell me a little bit about, you know, how did you get to into nursing a little bit about your early years and kind of just talk through your life. Sure. Just, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And and I'm very transparent, very open book. I feel like our stories are so powerful. Um, you know, if we can provide encouragement to what to other people that are suffering, you know, through some similar circumstances. So you know, my childhood Absolutely. was very challenging. Um, I was born into a family that, uh, honestly, I believe we have soul contracts and and. They were the example of, of what I should not do as a parent and with my life. Um, wow. A lot of, a lot of uh, codependent driven tendencies mm -hmm. and patterns and, you know, very, a lot of dysfunction, um, a lot of religiosity that I never quite bought into and all of the guilt about that. I, I joke and say I have religious PTSD. So spirituality was something that started exploring once I became an adult and, and, you know, had my own independent space. Mm -hmm. And at age, tw I believe I was 21 or 22, I had been receiving Reiki practitioner treatments from a coworker of mine at the office where I worked. And, uh, and she suggested I should become a Reiki practitioner. And so she was huh. a master and she taught me Reiki. And that was my first real experience with, wow, there's, there's more to life than what right, we see right. in our outer shell. And there's this depth and there's this unforeseen piece. Um, and that to me just really resonated. And, and I went on to become a Reiki practitioner and a massage therapist. So I've always sort of dabbled in these therapeutic areas. Mm -hmm. um, but Alternative. Really yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Outside the mainstream. For sure. For sure. So that was sort of my first 
launch pad into spirituality, I would say. Okay. Um, although I was still kind of working odd jobs and trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I, you know, I graduated from high school at age 17 and went right into college and took like oh, me too. 16, 16 units my first quarter and thought, I don't know what I want to do. I'm going to quit and right? wait and do some exploring and try different jobs. And, and I've done everything from office work and bookkeeping to, you know, being in the wine industry and doing wine marketing and wine importing and uh, wow. car dealerships. I mean, I've done oh, yeah. waitressing. Waitressing is what I credit for being an outgoing person because I used to be pathologically shy, if you could believe it. So, I mean, lots of things that, that led to um, who I am today mm -hmm. from those earlier years. And wow. then um, at age 27, I had my daughter and, uh, and later that year became very, very ill for the first time. And I, you know, in retrospect, I think I've been challenged with chronic illness issues and, you know, genetic mutations that contributed to those my whole life. Wow. At age 28 is when it first manifested. It was about, my daughter was nine months old when, when I ended up hospitalized, septic, very, very sick. Um, wow. And your daughter that, was how old again? She was nine months old. Nine months. I, I almost died. I had a near death experience. Did you really? Yes. And that was the experience that made me want to become a nurse. Wow. So, and my, my mother was a nurse growing up, but she worked in convalescent hospitals and long-term care. My first uh -huh. real job at 15 was a full-time bed maker helping CNAs. Um, and I thought, I do not want to do this for a living. Yeah, I but bet. then I, I saw bet. the other side of it where uh -huh. you had a critically ill patient mm -hmm. and you know the difference between the nurse that treated me horribly because she thought I was pain med seeking versus the nurse that was a true advocate and brought me my chart and explained things to me and advocated and corrected things that had been put in there that, you know, had been misinterpreted from things I had said, Wow. Um, you know, that I thought that's what I want to do. That's huge. And as soon as I was well, it took me about a year to recover from that. The, the base, the basis of that was, um, recurring abdominal, severe abdominal pain uh, that began in October of 2002. And to put it in, into retrospect, into perspective, mm -hmm. um, I did natural childbirth and it was a breeze. Most women wow. don't say that, but I breezed through it. No problem. <laughs> this was severe abdominal pain that put that pain to shame. Really? It, was, it was off and on. I had five different doctors, Kaiser Permanente, you know how great they are. Um, I've heard, none, I've of heard. Them, none of them could figure out what was going on with me. And like I said, the pain started suddenly October, 2002, I had like a, a six month old baby. They thought it might be female related. They thought it could be this, thought it could be that, um, off and on for months, I suffered this pain. And then in February of 2003, like four months later, one of the doctors decided my pain must be from colon polyps and ordered a colonoscopy, which basically wow. blows up your intestines like a balloon. And as it turns out, the root of my, my abdominal pain was that my appendix had perforated and was leaking into my gut, <gasps> oh which my normally, normally that's a life-threatening emergency. Right, that's and what I've heard. to the ER and try to remove it before it bursts. Well, mine was leaking. And, and you're walking the, around with yes, this. Oh, I was no, working oh, full time, man. new baby, Anna. two stepsons, new husband. I mean, it was uh, full time. I was working full time for the government at the time. Wow. Um, if you could believe that human resources. So um, it definitely was an eye opener for me when they did that colonoscopy, they blew out my appendix. I went septic. I had peritonitis, which is a life-threatening infection before we had antibiotics mm -hmm. before die of that. So that's really what the root of it was. And, and 
So they hospitalized me, still not even knowing what was going on after the colonoscopy. They couldn't figure out why. All How were you was... getting through this? That's just terrifying. Did you have any kind of a connect, divine connection or spirituality at that at that point in your, or were um, you just yeah, surviving? Not, not too much. Not too much. Mm -hmm. I was pretty much not just not to put anybody down, but I was kind of a Karen still. You know, I was I was very young. I I married a man that really didn't buy any of that and really didn't you sure. know, kind of discouraged it. Um, and was doing the family thing and had a new baby and was doing the new mom. So you didn't, thing. you weren't, you weren't there quite there yet where you were no. like, had that to hold on to. So really not. And the most spiritual thing that happened to me while I was hospitalized was, um, you know, seven, seven days in, you know, after several courses of IV antibiotics every day, those seven days, I was finally stabilized enough that they were going to go in and do an exploratory surgery and try to figure out what was going on. Cause they still had no idea wow. until they opened me up and went, Oh, it's her appendix. Um, very, I had a really odd presentation, obviously of appendicitis. So yeah. they, um, right before my surgery and, you know, we weren't sure I was, I was malnourished. I hadn't eaten, you know, most of the, the seven days I'd been in the hospital. I was underweight. No. I had a nutritionist come and assess me for anorexia, for example, Oh, geez. lost, lost my ability to produce breast milk while I was in the hospital because I was so underweight. Um, and so I was very frail going into surgery. Mm -hmm. And my mom told me before surgery that she wasn't sure. I mean, I think this is what she meant. She said she thought I was going to find God during my surgery. Whoa. And I think that was her way of saying, I'm not sure you're going to make it through this. And, you know, being a nurse, of course, she kind of knew this was a, a bad situation. Um, and during my surgery, I, I don't remember seeing white lights or anything like mm -hmm. that. I distinctly remember having a choice whether or not to return. Really? Wow. Yes. And so that was my near-death experience. And, and I knew at that time, my daughter, of course, was only nine months at that point. And she hadn't been diagnosed autism. I had no idea she had special needs of any kind, totally typical. Um, but I knew she needed me and I mm -hmm. chose to come back. And I was told that my life was going to be extraordinarily painful. And really? that was my choice. And that I could go if I was ready or I could come back. So that was my first real big, like, wow, okay. <laughs> Lost yeah. my fear of death completely, like gone. Um, that'll do it. That'll do it. That'll do yeah. it. Wow. And that was the pivot. As soon as mm -hmm. I was well, it took me about a year to recover. I went to nursing school and became a nurse. So. Wow. Yep. Awesome. I'm so glad you're here on the planet Thank doing you. the work. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, yeah. that was that my essay for entry to nursing school was on that topic of was my it? death experience. So yeah, that's, yeah, what that's pretty in. powerful. <laughs> so pretty cool stuff. So you have, okay. So you have this little daughter and then you, you come out and you decide to go to nursing school and mm -hmm keep going from there. So. Yeah. Went through nursing school. Um, my daughter, my first semester in nursing school or pre-nursing um, college courses to become a nurse, she was diagnosed with autism in October of 2004. And so, of course, a lot of my nursing school papers were on the topic of autism because I was researching it anyway. So I could write on stuff that I was passionate about and learning about. Um, you know, so that definitely started sprinkling everything that I was learning and everything that I was motivated to learn. Um, and, you know, I graduated nursing school in 2009. Um, as early as 2008, I started, you know, educating myself about epigenetics and nutrigenomics and genetic mutations and how those can contribute to the imbalances that cause illness and things like autism. 
Um, so definitely had started down that pathway. Huh. Um, you know, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in 2009, you know, kept going the mainstream route, was working in hospital post-surge units, uh, ortho and neurology, which is one of the more challenging floors of the hospital, I Yikes. have to say. Yeah. Went on to do critical care cardiac, where I was working in the cardiac cath lab and pulling arterial lines and doing pretty high level, you know, conscious sedation and, you know, sedating people, patients for biopsies and for cardioversions and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So very mm -hmm. high level nursing. And that was when I got sick is when I was working in okay. that unit and five credits shy of my master's degree in nursing. I ended up quitting school because I was so sick. I could no longer find my words. I couldn't write a paper. Um, I'm sure my IQ dropped quite yeah. a bit. Wow. So it was really, there were, there were months I was bed bound. I was non-functional. Um, at one point, you know, my doctor cold turkeyed me off a bunch of my medications to run some lab work for six weeks. I was actually suicidal during that time because I was bed bound. I, I just felt like I had no purpose. I wasn't doing anything. Why am I even here? So wow. that's the uh, first and only time in my life I've ever you know, felt that way. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. you know, of course, my daughter was my reason why I didn't follow through on that. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely was a journey. And then about a year and a half into my illness, after 18 months on antibiotics, I was diagnosed immune deficiency. I was diagnosed lupus autoimmune. I had pancreatitis. Um, I was 20 pounds underweight, 20 pounds less than mm. I am right now. Very, very sick. Liver was inflamed. Spleen was inflamed. Kidneys were in a failure state. Um, severe brain fog. I was starting to have shortness of breath, failure of my respiratory system that nobody understood. Um, and I started on cannabis just for pain relief because I also had a lot of joint pain and involvement with the lupus mm -hmm. diagnosis. Had you used cannabis before or? Recreationally, as, as a kid. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in Northern California, just yeah. south no, of yeah. It was pretty, yeah. you know, and actually that's the only recreational drug I ever really dabbled with, you know, and it, it kind of replaced alcohol for me, which was a really good call. Yes. Pretty um, good because yeah, <laughs> I had I went the other way. Like my family was all you know really like can't pot was oh well yeah, and I have a long-standing history genetically of alcoholism. It's oh, a and you knew that mm -hmm. yeah on my my paternal line. I wasn't super aware at that point of it, but I just and I have Native American blood as well. I just knew that I had a really stoic tolerance for alcohol. I could drink every guy I knew under the table, and I'm not I'm not that big. <laughs> So it was like, oh, there's something here. Like I, yeah. I could really drink like a fish. Um, yeah, I could too. Uh, yeah, around age 22, I kind of flipped over and thought, okay, well, on the weekends, instead, you know, instead mm -hmm. of socially drinking, I'm going to socially smoke pot, and you know, no hangover. Yay, awesome! Right, <laughs> right. That's the a, next day. Yeah. So, um, so that was that was your early experience. Yeah. Had. Mm -hmm. and, and my father was a, a preacher turned prison guard. Not a lot of wiggle room in his paradigm about cannabis. Um, and, and so wow. it was really something, you know, a lot of guilt about even thinking about it. Once I had a baby, it was just like, you know, once I was pregnant, not even, not even going to yeah. consider it. Um, and so I hadn't done it for a really long time when I got sick and, mm -hmm. um, you know, really knew I didn't want to do the opioid pain med pathway. You know, you see it killing patients and they're just yeah. miserable in between. You'd seen so, that. So you knew, yeah. you knew better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was very motivated not to start opioid therapy. So that's why I thought, okay, I have a friend who's a grower. My husband made me mm -hmm. some oil from trim. He donated and it happened to be from white widow, which is excellent for pain. So it met my needs for pain relief uh -huh. 
but went on to, to lift my brain fog, which of, of course is the opposite of the stigma. Right. It made me more functional. Um, I was, I had better energy. I wasn't so fatigued. And within about six months, my autoimmune lab seroconverted and I was showing negative for lupus. So that really got my attention. Like, oh, I wow. bet. Yeah. <laughs> How can a plant do this? Like there's no pharmaceuticals or mainstream approaches that, that can proclaim to cure lupus, right? That must've been uh, eye-opening too, just because of your background and immersion in the medical system. Like huge. huge. Yeah. So yeah, it, um, it definitely got my attention. And of course I had my brain back. So I started researching and, and diving deep into how is this possible and what does the science say? And that, you know, thankfully I have hungry brain syndrome, which really drives a lot of my curiosity that way and learned all of these things and thought, wow, this is so cool. Uh-huh, but despite uh-huh. everything I learned and despite, you know, all of the evidence and myself and my own labs being evidence of, of the positive impact on my own health. Um, it, it caused a huge rift in my family at the time, you know, that I started cannabis, I was living on a property with my parents that we, we mm-hmm. had, you know, contributed to, and, and we were supposed to half own and, um, it ended up in a, a pretty catastrophic break in my family. And I was basically disowned and evicted and haven't over the cannabis since 2014. Oh, my mom was a nurse. I brought her the research and said, come on, you can look at this, look at my health, look at what it's done. Um, but my, and I knew my father didn't have any wiggle room in his paradigm around cannabis. So that's, I begged her not to tell him. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, that's the first thing she did. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's, it, that's it, rough. That's well, rough. It, it, it had to happen. It had yes, to happen. Yes. I hear that. I you can know, feel that. I wouldn't be doing this work today if that hadn't happened. No regrets. Was, you can't, we can't look that way at anything really. Yeah. And the cannabis wasn't the only issue, you know, yeah. there were, I've, the, all the issues from my childhood that had never been acknowledged, never been recognized, you know, the codependency, all of that, you know, I felt that and, and I knew there was something not right. And I knew I had like this wow. boundary with my parents that I never really understood. And so many questions in my mind that I had just settled on, I'm never going to have a straight answer. So I'm not even going to think about it. Yeah. So that, you know, it, it's following that breach I really had to face those areas of dysfunction and make a conscious effort to break those long-standing generational patterns. So I wouldn't pass them on to my own daughter. So it was really beneficial that way. And mm-hmm. I also just, you know, I wouldn't be doing this work today if I had them chirping in my ear every day and telling me I'm a drug addict and right. you know, telling me that, it, you know, it's the devil's lettuce and it's going to make you sleep with black men or whatever else they bought from the, Wow. Madness yeah. Propaganda. Yeah. So it's, it's really been empowering that way. Abs- oh man, that is huge. Yeah. So that's like, it's like a lifeline that kind of pulled you or at least opened a portal for you to be able to step into a new, a new paradigm yourself or a, or open and open. heal. And heal. heal. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And you know, it's so funny. I have a healer that I work with on occasion and the first time I worked with her, she didn't know who I was. We'd never talked. And, uh, and we were, she said she had, you know, she was communicating with my guides and she's like, you're going to think this is really strange, but I'm being told to tell you that the, the spirit of the cannabis plant is one of your guides. Wow. And I have another friend that tells me sometimes I open my mouth and she thinks I'm channeling the cannabis plant. And I think, wow, there's so many of us where I believe that's probably the case. That's pretty, pretty cool. cool. Stuff. 
yeah, I'll take it. It's all good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, you know, I actually have a little, uh, you know, cannabis shield thing here on my desk that anytime I feel like, uh, you know, there's, there's a little bit of hesitation or fear about speaking up and standing up and, and telling my story or, or, you know, talking about the plant objectively and truthfully and encouraging others to do the same. You know, I feel like it really is a protective force in my life. So, yeah, I, I guess I've had the same feeling, which is the reason that I'm having this conversation with you is I did a deep dive into the, you know, spiritual community, just personally out of like kind of hitting a wall and yeah, a lot of things kind of coming to a head that I hoped would go differently and diving in and really feeling, having a lot of peace and finding, returning to spirituality because I've had it within me since my childhood. Right. We all have it. Exactly. So it was, but I've had such a profound early experience that many people didn't, that I kind of went out, then I left that whole experience. And so coming back to it was, um, you know, we get on yeah. the phone and we're like, Tandy, I know, Tandy, I Tandy. know. <laughs> We had a conversation the other day. Oh, I know like, what it was. We should have recorded that. I know. Okay, this is it. This is it. Yes. Um, yeah. So, how would you? And I guess so. I started hearing people saying, you know, like cannabis. Maybe you should. You shouldn't. You, like it could be negative to your your evolution. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I don't know if I'd be here if that portal hadn't been opened, and I was able to actually see that I was participating in perpetuating my own cycles of trauma and all that stuff. I feel like it gave me a key. And so I'm, I, what I want to ask is for you, have you had any um, people that, and you know, I, I allow people to have, obviously I allow it, but people can think what they want. It's about really about how I feel and my truth about cannabis, but I'm wondering if you have had any doubts or any questions personally, or, you know, as you've navigated, probably not after hearing your story, you're well, pretty, I mean, I doubt that, but yeah. What do you got on that? Well, you know, when you're raised to believe that it's evil and you're raised to believe that it's, you know, if you use it, you're a drug addict. That's um, some deep program, deep pro programming. Huge. And, huge. and I carried a lot of guilt for a long time and not just around, you know, those subjects, but other topics that sure. I was taught that didn't make lot. I'm a very logic driven person. Didn't make logical sense to me that you weren't allowed to, you know, if you're not allowed to question something, I always think, well, okay, that's so questionable what's the agenda here, <laughs> you know, it's, um, right. and, and that was a lot of the religion was like, oh no, don't question that. And don't question this and, and don't question, you know, just believe, just have faith. Right. Well, that to me is, is a red flag now. And Absolutely. it became a red flag through those experiences. And, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of guilt about not being able to buy into the religious beliefs that I were, to I was told, you know, would literally save my soul oh, me too. or send me to hell. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I had a really particularly traumatic experience in high school, um, in junior high, I sort of started to rebel and I was hanging around with people that were sort of rebellious and got in trouble. And my parents' response was to send me to an ultra conservative Christian high school for oh a year. Oh boy. Oh boy. And not, it was, uh, I don't even know, you know, I, I don't even recall what they called themselves. I mean, as far as Lutheran or whatever label they used, uh -huh. but it was one of these really extreme, uh, almost cult 
Yep. Um, and like fundamental, like conservative yeah, Christianity. Extreme. And literally like you were looked down upon if you hadn't received the gift of speaking in tongues. Oh, okay. Um, that, that. And, and I remember my first day at school, we went to chapel to start the day and and the other kids were speaking in tongues and undulating and doing, and I'm just thinking, oh my God, what did I get into here? <laughs> no, this is not. This oh, is you not. poor thing. Wow. So, I mean, those are the types of PTSD uh, stories that I have around that. And that really discouraged okay. me from really turned me off to any spirituality for many years. I bet. Um, and, and now I'm just so thankful for it. And, and cannabis has been a, a big piece of the healing that has helped me to find that and find the tools that really helped strengthen, you know, those, I guess I almost call it skills. I mean, tools that I found and began using things like meditation, transcendental mm -hmm. meditation has been life altering for me. Okay. Um, and meditation to this day is my only addiction and the tool that I use, um, you know, I'm still primary caregiver for my 19 year old daughter with autism and we mm -hmm. still have behaviors sometimes severe on occasion. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot, we've suffered so much trauma this last decade, especially since her puberty crisis. And, uh, and meditation is how I reset my day. If we wake up and she's had a hard day and first thing dealing with stuff, I'll find a quiet corner once it's settled and meditate and just kind of reset. Yeah. I That's hope all special needs moms out there. And I hate to use that, that umbrella label, but I see just, um, so much need for being able to step out of that stream of like constant stress, you know, no mm -hmm. matter what it is, if it's meditation for me, it was, it's exercise, which is really, a, it, my running is my meditation, even though mm -hmm. I do meditation, but I mean, it, um, even before I knew that that's how I was using it, I was using it that way, like almost subconsciously, it just, that's how I process. It's how I got. So absolutely, you have to have that. I don't, I don't know mm -hmm. if I, I don't know. So yeah. So that's great to hear that. Yeah. And now um, I practice walking meditation. So just trying to make everything meditative. Yes. Right. It's not easy. Not easy. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Like to be present but, in the way that yes. that's like this being on the drugs. Moment. This is the moment. And it's, it's about managing your thoughts and actually just posted about that the other day um, about how your, the thoughts are really the root of all suffering. Yes. It's really learning to, to step outside of your thoughts mm. and, and try to be more an, an objective viewer of the situation, you know, helping, helping to deliberately shift your paradigms or your beliefs around things that are happening. Um, you know, I, I always come back to that. I am, I am supported always. And I've had some really miraculous manifestations occur in my life at, at times when I was on my last leg. I was on my last nerve and there were no answers showing up and that process of surrender. And then all of a sudden, bam, there's your answer literally within minutes of that surrender. It's like that hands so up. Yeah. It's like once you surrender. So realizing that, you know, in order to stay in this flow of your life, which, you know, really drives everything I do, it's inspired action. It's trying to stay in a state of surrender. It's accepting what's happening, not trying to resist it or fight it, realizing you know, retrospectively, even the hardest moments had silver linings and they had meaning and purpose and have brought me to doing what I'm supposed to be doing, which is what I, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm answering a higher calling today, like I said. So it's, you know, it, it's that, and it's so hard now to get a stress response from me. 
for that reason, which I think I has really benefited that. my health dramatically because I believe stress was a lot of a lot of the, mm -hmm. the con contributions to my health issues as well. So, wow, it's just beautiful. Thank you for yeah. so openly sharing. This has been awesome. I'm not done yet. Um, no, I wanna... no, no, shoot away. I'm with the book. In fact, I'm yeah. writing a book, so watch for it. Are you? I was going to say, like, I heard about ten books in your in your story, your life, your life story. Talking about. I'm try to get it all into one. You're going to get it into one. I've got the title. You do. Anatomy of a Cannabis Nurse. So I've got oh, the website and ooh. everything. Oh wow! I love that. Thank you. No, I'm glad to hear you doing that. So talk to me about like, okay, so you you're using cannabis for your own health. And at what point did you start to like question the medical system and just kind of, you know, take me from where you were to, to current day? Sure. Uh, and really, I started questioning the medical system with my daughter when, you yep. know, she was diagnosed autism. The pediatricians were clueless. I had so many doctors look me right in the face and say, there's nothing to do here. Just, you know, we can try different meds right. to help her be more comfortable or whatever, but there's nothing here that we can do to, to fix your child. And not that I was looking for a fix. I mean, I'm a full believer in neurodiversity and I do get a lot of, of, uh, of people that are judgmental because I treat my daughter biomedically for autism. But in my experience, kids with autism often have underlying medical right. imbalances in their gut, in their brain, in their immune system. And otherwise, they're often suffering, you know, moderate to severe pain that goes unrecognized and untreated. Now, is that compassionate? Probably not. No. So, I mean, my goal is not to change my daughter or to change who she is. My goal is to help her live her best life, to you know, hopefully give her the best possibility of reaching her full potential and to have the best quality of life possible, Wow! you know, and, yeah. and, you know, suffering should never be a thing that we just blow off and say, accept. I know. As a parent. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes that's what we're told. That's what so we're asked to do to mm -hmm. really, to just, yeah, it's yeah. excruciating. Yeah. So that's really when I began, and I, you know, I also had this background of Reiki practitioner and the energy healing, and, right. you know, right. so I had some of that inclination already, but really none of the pharmaceuticals or mainstream approaches to autism appealed to me at all. So we went the biomedical route. We went, mm -hmm. how do we help correct her imbalances in her gut, in her neurological system, in her immune system? That's when I started looking into epigenetics and nutrigenomics and how different genetic mutations can contribute to those mm -hmm. imbalances that we find in autism. Um, and then we didn't really start cannabis with her until 2014 or so. She suffered a major puberty crisis. I was still in the process of recovering myself from my health issues. Yep. And uh, she began exhibiting extreme level behaviors. So a puberty crisis. Yeah. I just, yes. for yeah. those that aren't sure what that is. Oh, when sure. They, so yeah. it's puberty crisis is, you know, when children with autism come of age and they begin their puberty cycle and their hormones begin, you know, showing more of the adult tendencies, about 50% of them on average end up suffering what we call a puberty crisis. And it's, it's a extreme elevation of behaviors. Mm -hmm. In my daughter's case, she was, she began being self-injurious. She would literally punch herself in the yeah, head. Yeah. My and daughter did that. Aggressing on all of her caregivers, anybody of authority, myself included. Um, I can't tell you how many times my husband had to peel my daughter off of me when I was sick and weak. And she was, I think part of it is that she realized I was in a weakened state and she could challenge me, honestly. 
Um, but yeah, and then she destroyed my house. We had holes in every wall, holes through every door, broken windows, broken lights. Um, so very, very extreme. And there were actually three months in 2015, um, even with the cannabis, because we had just started off. And I, you know, I, it I takes some the time. level of knowledge I have now <laughs> to go, right. oh, these are the right products. But yeah, um, there's a did, huge learning curve. Yeah, we did find that treating her with pain formulations helped her behaviors a lot. So I, I still believe to this day that a lot of her behaviors were communication that she was in pain and she was very limited verbal. Uh, she was nonverbal till age 10, very limited at this point. Um, wow. but in, in 2015, there were three months when she was living in a separate home from mm -hmm. me and I was living here with her part-time and had a caregiver with her here part-time. Her dad was here part-time with her. Mm -hmm. So we just narrowly escaped full out of home placement with her and cannabis. I credit cannabis for, for making this situation manageable and sparing us all that additional trauma. So wow. that's another of my passion makers about, you know, cannabis and its potential. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that between just from the knowledge I've gained from listening to you and Mike and Sherry and other people in the industry, just about, I had no idea until I started doing the podcast, just the potential of cannabis, you know, and I coming out of kind of late for my kids, but really seeing major, major impacts. Also being so far into the system, it's been a challenge financially to keep the cannabis thing, to be on top of it enough to really trust it. Not that mm -hmm. I don't trust it, but to not you know, there's this balance of risk. Like I think I mm -hmm. see a lot of parents to take that step into to embracing cannabis. It's almost like you feel like you're abandoning your, like the people that have saved your kids' lives. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like the medical system, especially when, you know, my kids were like in their, when I learned about cannabis, they're like older. So it's been, mm -hmm. it's been so, so like, frustrating because I know it would be better for all of them. Absolutely. But can I facilitate that? You know, how, where, where can I facilitate it? And so mm -hmm. I think what you're sharing is just gold for any parents out there listening that are even curious and have young kids start figuring it out now, start looking into it now, start experimenting now. And it doesn't have to be overwhelming. You know, I, I say, learn from my lived experience that if you I saw such huge differences that gave me such hope and gave, showed me such presumption of, you know, such competence that's been like an anchor, even though we've had to, you know, put pharmaceuticals back in. It's like, I know, I see that. I see what's what's possible. So, well, yeah. 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 And sometimes pharmaceuticals are necessary. I'm right. You know, no, I, it's, yeah, it's absolutely. not that cannabis fixes everything. Exactly. You know, there it's great for chronic illness. And oftentimes what I saw with my patients was that they would reduce reliance on pharmaceuticals, sometimes wean them completely and have better quality of life and function when you added cannabis to the regimen. But I mean, as an acute care nurse, historically, like if you're having a heart attack, go to the hospital, you need pharmaceuticals, you yeah. need aspirin, you need, you know, blood thinners. If it's a clot, you need, quick, you know, quick, you quick. Need, right. yeah. And time is, is heart tissue is what we used to say. So very, very important that you just go, oh, I'm having a heart attack. I'm going to take my cannabis. No, <laughs> that's, that's the time when you want to go seek acute right, care. Right, 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 right. Um, you know, and our stories are so powerful. And, and my daughter's story actually in 2017, 
I wrote up her, her autism cannabis success story and it published on the cover of a nationwide industry cannabis magazine. So that was sort of my coming out of the cannabis Beautiful. closet. And, and I actually say in this, and you reminded me of this, I, one of my lines in this article is, you know, for autism parents, the sooner you consider cannabis for your child, the better. Yeah. So yeah. very, very important. Um, you know, although it's great for symptom management when a child does enter a puberty crisis, if they do, if they're the mm -hmm. one of the 50% that do, um, it's, you know, the underlying one of the root contributors or root causes of autism is something we call endocannabinoid deficiency. And many people don't understand our bodies produce cannabinoids, right? And they help keep us in a health balanced state. And when we're deficient in those endocannabinoids, because either we can't produce enough for whatever reason, or because if we have chronic illness, sometimes we deplete them. Mm -hmm. This is a contributor to the underlying imbalances mm -hmm. of every chronic illness. And so autism is definitely on that list. Autism is endocannabinoid deficiency. Mm -hmm. And if you can supplement from the plant, not only is it great for managing symptoms, especially with correctly targeted, good quality products, it can actually start targeting that contributor to the imbalances that cause autism. It's pretty amazing. So it can be really high impact. Yeah. Yeah. And it's this plant that we have to our benefit as an ally, that's just incredible. It really is. Yeah. It's just an amazing, I, I call it the most healing herb on the planet. And it's really, you know, a gift from, from, you know, our, our highest good it's evolved with us for 5,000 years. Right. There's, you know, there's a lot of history there. We used it as our mainstream medicine until 1937 when for-profit corporations decided it was too big of a competitor for not only pharmaceuticals, but paper and oil and gas and textiles and eco-fuel. I mean, everything it, we used it as, as a staple in our, right. in our society and they took it away from us. Right. I know so it's really should be a basic human right to have access to this plant that promotes optimal health in humans. Yep. Um, and there's, there's even stories that Jesus used cannabis in his anointing oils that he used to heal populations and perform his miracles. And so I joke and say, what would Jesus do? He would, he would heal the masses with cannabis. It's what he did. Right. Period. Right. So, I mean, that's a big stigma breaker for some people. <laughs> Bring some, some comedy that's to good. it. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah. So I guess um, just to kind of wrap things up. So cannabis has, and your own just evolution and learning from your experiences has kind of led you to taking that next step with, uh, with autism safe haven and talk a little bit about like where, how you've been led to do that. To sure. Get to that. Yeah, like I said, my my career in the cannabis industry has been very much guided by following cannabis patient needs. I'm a cannabis patient myself, so that's really my passion. And so I started off as a patient and then went to growing, growing for myself and my daughter. It's more to for, more affordable that way for us. Right. Um, you know, and that's that's a shame that it's still not covered by insurance and you know, there are affordability issues for some people yet. Right. Um, but went from that to educating patients to educating mm -hmm. medical professionals. Um, my passion is is helping to provide cannabis inclusive autism care resources because they don't exist. So like kids with autism that rely on cannabis for their health management that go into a care home environment don't have the same access to cannabis. Sometimes they have no access at all. Sometimes it's the parents are on call, which of course is not respite for the care, the parent. Right. Because a lot right. of times we're giving it for breakthrough symptoms, you know, above and beyond their normal routine for baseline 
symptom management. And, it and has so to that's be just given. being on call 24 seven. Yeah. Hey, that sounds great. Sometimes they have to take them off the property. So I'm really, I, right now my focus is building for-profit entities like Unity Formulas, which is one of the product lines I've contributed to. Mm -hmm. And they, in exchange for my contributions and helping to oversee their free nurse guidance line and their free practitioner support uh, to really help, our goal is to help overcome the barriers to success with CBD and cannabis for consumers. And they are donating 15% of their sales to Autism Safe Haven in return. And That's a couple beautiful. of weeks ago, I received a $10,000. I saw that. Congratulations. So that was really cool. So I'm about to launch another program that's going to be a for-profit or a B Corp or a social enterprise type of structure to also support Autism Safe Haven. So that's really my focus now is building for-profits to support the nonprofit so we can get Autism wow. Safe Haven off the ground and, and get it going. So Right. And Autism Safe Haven is going to be a group home, correct? Yes. That homes and retreats. Homes oh. and retreats where mm -hmm. that are cannabis friendly or you can uh, implement cannabis cannabinoid medicine. Yes. Uh, Dignified care and cannabis dig inclusion. Wow. And thank you, Jill, for being on our board. That's just amazing. Yes, I'm so honored to be on the board. It's, it's one of the bright spots of like, when I think about the future, it definitely uh, gives a lot of hope personally and just to be a part of it. You've Absolutely. just been such a trailblazer, Jana. Thank you. Really, thank really. You. Thank you for your contribution. Oh, so you're welcome. We have parents on the board that really get you know, the needs of our kiddos and, you know, our plans are to expand even beyond autism to other cannabis patient needs to provide awesome. inclusive, cannabis inclusive care to things like cancer and hospice and, um, you know, mental health, addiction recovery. We have all kinds of, of plants. Oh, so, yeah, that's we're awesome. Just, just, just getting start, it started yeah. with autism and we'll build from there. So, and you know, the timing is really good. It seems like with what's going on, you know, to be offering that type of more whole, what I would see as holistic and integrative type medicine. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's sparing the rights of patients autonomy to choose their preferred medicine and have it accessible and still receive the care that they need. Without and like ridiculous. Doesn't exist yeah. Right now, so. Yeah. It's crazy. Okay. Yeah, with Ryan's law, um, we just fought and got hospitalized patients the right to use cannabis while they're hospitalized. But this is, you know, restricted to terminal patients. And we're copycatting that law. I'm on the Oregon team that's that's advocating to get wow. it in here's legislative session um, on the docket. So, you know, we're looking to hopefully expand upon that and make it all patients in any medical care environment. Um, so that'll really facilitate this in every cannabis legal state is our goal. To be able to use it in the hospital. Yep. That's yeah. Ryan's great. law allows it's in California only at this point, That's, but allows okay. terminal hospitalized patients the right to use their cannabis as medicine while they're inpatient. So it's huge. So it's it is huge, huge, huge. If you so, oh, wow, lots of yeah. really exciting stuff coming down, coming ahead for you. Yeah, so we're so cannabis nurses network has been a huge advocate of that law. And, and they're the reason that I connected with Jim Bartell. And I was one of the nurses consulting on Ryan's case back in the day. So, um, yeah, just really thankful for that connection and, and that I could be, absolutely. Part of, uh, be part of the change. It feels so good. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. So if someone wants to find a cannabis nurse, what would your suggestion be? Um, well, there are a lot of 
free resources. Of course, we have free resources through one of my businesses, CannabisNurseApproved.com, where we certify and highlight the true medical quality, um, optimal therapeutic outcomes, mm -hmm. you know, are most likely from using specific types of cannabis. And so we have education and a free nurse line there. And then for those that need extra handholding, we do have an outsourced referral that we can send patients that need the more formal awesome. patients. But that's a great place to start. It's free. And, um, you know, our like I said, our goal is to really help people find the product profiles that really match their needs and find them in products that are really optimal quality. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And Beautiful. then if you want to learn about Autism Safe Haven, it's autismsafehaven.org. If you want to learn more about my story and my journey, it's janachampagne.com is my media kit website. So lots, lots of potential resources. <laughs> yeah. And I will link all this information too, when I produce the podcast and yeah, um, I'm trying to think of anything else that I didn't ask you. And so I think you've just, just your life story and the things that have happened and your, your honesty and vulnerability and sharing it all has been just really a blessing to me. So thank you so much for yeah, yeah. coming on and just being willing to have this discussion. Cannabis haters out there that say that you can't be spiritual with, you know, with um, using cannabis, what would you say? Talk to Jesus about it. He used it. <laughs> Yes. What do you think he would say? Right. What yeah, I don't Jesus know. Say? <laughs> it's a tool. It's, it's a tool. It's a tool. Right. You know, especially having suffered so much trauma this last decade and, and we didn't even, we just touched the, touched tip, the tip of the iceberg. You know, most of my story. So we just touched the tip of the iceberg of this last decade and we didn't even get into the, the, you know, my husband and in the process we've been through and the healing that's, that's occurred. Well, we'll have but, to have a part two. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah, I'll, I'll, we need to get his permission to talk about some of that stuff. Yeah, I hear that. You know, he's pretty private, but um, you know, it definitely the the cannabis allows you to kind of step out of the trauma, and it really promotes that post traumatic growth and the lotus theory. And mm. you know, one of my mentors, Heather Manus, who's the CEO of Cannabis Nurses Network, has a great module on that that she provides talking about post-traumatic growth. And I really think it comes down to stepping away from the trauma, stepping out of the stories, releasing this, you know, healing and releasing the stories, and then finding the purpose in your experiences. And for me, you know, my purpose is reinforced by seeing the benefit of sharing my experiences and what I've learned from those experiences for the benefit of others. That to me is, is probably the most therapeutic thing. So it's, yeah. you know, it's really just about, you know, you're, if you're suffering trauma right now, you're entitled to the process. You know, you're entitled to work through the hard days. Just know that retrospectively, you know, you're likely going to find your silver lining and you're going to find your purpose in it and find your healing. And it, it takes a lot of determination and it, it's not easy. It's not no. easy, but it, it can happen. It, yeah. It's possible. So your story is, yeah, really is an attempt beautiful testimony to that fact. Thank you. So Thank you. it's not perfect, but it's manageable. Well, so we're good. <laughs> exactly. It's never exactly. Perfect. That's all I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all I got. Jana. this has been awesome. I'm going to say thank you. I'm going to stop the recording. So, okay. Thank you so well, much. Thank for doing you. This. Thanks everybody. And, well,